Good morning. I want to begin this morning by giving thanks to the many blogs, commentaries, and conversations that go into discerning a sermon each week. I especially want to give thanks to the Holy Spirit for opening my heart to hear the words God would have me share this day. Imagine with me for a moment this morning the delight you would experience in discovering that you had a long-lost uncle who had made you the sole heir to their estate. Can you imagine? You wake up one morning and, and discover that you are suddenly wealthy beyond your imagination. Your financial concerns are over. Your, your kid's college would be paid. And frankly, if you didn't want to work again, you probably wouldn't have to do it. If that scenario happened, how would you feel? What would you do? Perhaps better to the point, what would you do differently? Now, I don't mean what items would you go out and buy, what new house, car, vacation plan would you make, although I'm betting pretty, pretty confidently that most of us would treat ourselves to a few luxuries in that moment. What I'm asking, though, is more along the lines of what would be different in your day-to-day attitudes of life, your habits, your outlook when you woke up in the morning. If your future is absolutely secure, how would that change your present day? I'm asking this because this is the same scenario that the Apostle Paul is describing in these few verses in his letter to the church in Rome that Jim Miller read for us a few minutes ago. Listen again to those words. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, according to Paul, we are not only God's children, but also heirs, and not just any heirs, but we are co-heirs with Christ. Stop and think on that for a moment. Think about the impact of what Paul is really saying. Paul is saying that God considers us equal inheritors of all God has to give. In this context, we are equal with Christ. Wow. And not only that, but also Paul goes on to describe the impact such a reality offers us. 
rather than being afraid, say, of the future or of what people may think of us, our status, or of our standing with God. Instead, Paul invites us to imagine a life of courage. Paul asks us to envision a life of courage in having been adopted by God and invited into the full measure of God's blessings and riches. If you consider our passage in John that Chris read for us, Jesus says much the same thing to Nicodemus in rather cryptic language that may need some unpacking. Jesus invites Nicodemus to imagine that we have the opportunity through our life in the Spirit to be born anew, born from above as God's children, just like Christ. We are invited to see ourselves born anew and so precious that God was willing to send Jesus as a testament to how much God loves all of us. Weirdly, all of these things bring me to the Trinity. At the heart of our understanding of God as this mystical three-in-one is the idea that you can't fully or finally understand God without talking about relationships. What I'm trying to say is that God is so full of love that there has to be some way of talking about that love as shared in and through profound relationships. No part of God operates in isolation. Some theologian folk would say that is why God created the cosmos and humanity in the first place, to have more people to love, to have more people to be in good relationship with. I think that the Trinity goes even further. I think from the very beginning of time, the dynamic power of love is at the heart of God's identity and very character. And that immensity of love can only be captured dimly or in the slightest by thinking of a great shared love. We get just a glimpse in imagining a great shared love. We get just a glimpse of the magnitude of all that God is. I don't know how to describe something one feels deep inside, so perhaps it's simply impossible to think about love that isn't shared. So the essence of God's being has always been experienced best by creation as a giving and receiving of love, being in connection. That immense love has ultimately spilled out into the whole of the universe and invites all of us into it. It first is documented through creation and God's series of covenants, and then 
and the sending of God's Son to demonstrate in word and deed just how much God loves us. And then continues on as the Spirit bears witness to God's ongoing love for all of us, for all of creation. I think this means that when we talk about the Trinity as God being three in one, we really haven't captured the heart and reality of the doctrine unless we recognize that God is three in one for a purpose. Three in one in order always to add one more connection point to the picture. You may be asking, what do I mean? What I mean is that all of us are an infinite plus one, an infinite plus one through which God's love is made complete in relationship with all of God's children. This, I believe, is what these passages signify, the profound love of God that draws us into relationship together with God with each other, and with the whole of creation and the cosmos. So let me ask you all again, what does it mean for us to live knowing we are God's beloved children, adopted, chosen, and named co-heirs with Christ himself? First, please don't hear this question as some heaven and hell thing. What I mean is, what difference does knowing this make for you now? I've asked a similar question on an Easter Sunday. So when does eternal life begin? And then saying it's not really a a trick question. It's important to remember We reap its benefits, not just in the by and by, but also in the now. Eternal life begins now. What a difference it makes to know that you are unconditionally loved in the now. What a difference it makes in your life to know you have immeasurable value in God's eyes, in the now. I mean that if I tell you that no matter what you do or or what is done to you and no matter where you go, God always loves you and cares about you, what a difference that makes in the here and now. I sometimes wonder if part of the reason so many people have a hard time connecting their faith to everyday life is simply because we don't take God's promises very seriously or as if they actually have any impact on us right here and now. I'd like for each of us this week, after hearing and believing maybe for the first time, this incredibly expansive and jaw-dropping promise that we are all born anew through the Spirit and declared co-heirs with Christ, that we might ask ourselves this week, 
to think about what decisions we might make, knowing each of us has God's unconditional love and confidence. How might your relationships look different in light of God's promises? How might challenges at school or work be put in perspective when each of us remembers that we are co-heirs with Christ? And what kind of risks might we take in our relationships or careers knowing that the creator and sustainer of the universe has our back? I'm betting that you probably remember the short parable often shared about the eagle who was raised with chickens. And so that eagle stood in its barnyard with the other chickens scratching for corn as it watched a couple glorious eagles fly in the sky. According to Paul, we're all eagles. So perhaps our task this week is simply to remind each other of that fact and encourage us to go out to fly. After all, it's the three-in-one God who has invited each and all of us to be God's plus one at a heavenly love feast that can begin not just in the by and by, but this very day. So go fly, my fellow eagles. Please pray with me. God of grace, there is so much we mortals don't understand. Thank you for standing steadfast with us through all of our learning and giving grace to us at each needed moment. Grant us faith in your steadfast promises this day. Amen.